notice if they believe in any myths about writing and try to let those go. And for entrepreneurs, this is especially true because when we write, our words represent us. Our words are representing us when we're not there. Try to write with a focus on the person we're writing to instead of a focus on ourselves. We've got to switch our outlook to other focus, reader focus, and try to imagine how the words would land for those folks because those are the people who need the message. We've already got it. Keeping it brief, keeping it usable in today's busy professional world. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is an expert in writing, a true thought leader. She is somebody who has created the ability to write precisely, to write concisely, and to write effectively into a high art form for business professionals. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Aaron LeBex. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Hey. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much, Nikki, for that great in- intro, and I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy to have you here. So, Aaron, let me set the stage. Our listener is an entrepreneur. To me, in our society, other than the men and women who fight, bleed, and die so that we have a blanket of freedom to be able to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, these are society's greatest heroes, society's most important people because they've got the courage to go out there and dream, dream big, do everything in the power to make those dreams come alive, and they have the courage to have a vision to make the human race move forward. And they listen to this show because they wanna be inspired. They listen to this show because they want to be uplifted. They listen to the show because they wanna learn. They wanna learn and they wanna take these learnings and create a life less imagined for themselves. They don't come here because of me. I'm here every week. They come here because of you. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Aaron LeBex? Yeah, well, it's been kind of a mix of entrepreneuring myself partway through and teaching my whole life. And at a certain point, I thought, I don't want to do it out of school anymore. I'd be, I would be able to deliver my message better if I broke free of the sort of college system constraints, like many of your other listeners, right? We've broken free of whether it's corporate constraints, academic constraints, whatever, and gotten out there on our own. So me as an entrepreneur talking about writing, of course, I needed to use it a lot starting my business too. But now I train people in the workplace. You know, writing doesn't have to be scary um, and it doesn't have to make us think about the red pen. It can be used to help us meet our goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how long were you in the academic system for? 
I was in the system for 20 years total. Some, some of it I was doing both. Um, and gradually just figuring out how I could bring my content to people where they're already at, which is typically at work or doing something you already need to do. Not everyone is in school at the moment, right? Um, and not everybody has the time to go to school or the money. And so we all have to get jobs. So that's a place that I help people learn um, just to meet them when, when they're needing it. You know, a lot of folks graduate from high school, college, grad school, and they go get their first job trying to bring their good writing ideas from school. And then they get there and they go, oh, my gosh, why don't these skills apply here at all? I've been lied to. And I know they think this because when I go into the workplace, the people in their 20s say, Aaron, why didn't anyone tell us this earlier? Why didn't anyone tell us that our writing for work and for our businesses would be so different than our writing for school? Because that's a hard adjustment for young people to make, too. Well, a lot of people are in the world of business and they don't really understand how to express themselves, either in writing or in speaking form. They're not great communicators to begin with. And one of the things that they're starting to realize is they need to become better communicators, especially if you're an entrepreneur. And every entrepreneur today um, probably has an idea that they think would make a great book that could help them tell their story, that could help them promote what their company does. All those things are important. So as somebody who's taught for you know 20 plus years about writing, what do you think people need to learn in order to become better writers? Well, you know, a lot of what people need to do is notice if they believe in any myths about writing and try to let those go. And you're, for entrepreneurs, this is especially true because when we write, especially as a solo act, our words represent us. I mean, I've talked to people, I've met people in live settings that I had never spoken to before, but we'd been emailing or even just DMing on LinkedIn or something. And we felt like we already knew each other when we met because the writing did that for us. Well, it could also go the opposite way, right? So what we want to think is our words are representing us when we're not there. And so we're thinking, well, then I need to let go of some of these myths from school writing, like you write to get judged, you write to show what you know, you write just because in an artificial setting, now we're writing for real people. And the best thing we can do is try to write with a focus on the person we're writing to instead of a focus on ourselves. And it's real tough, right? Because our brain is ours. We're thinking about the things we want to say. But when we're writing, we already know those things. So it doesn't really matter if we see, say them in a way that works for us. We've got to switch our outlook to other focus, reader focus, and try to imagine how the words would land for those folks, because those are the people who need the message. We've already got it. And yet that's really like kind of a mind blower often in class. You know, yo, if you're not journaling or taking notes, you are not writing for you. And so we have to try to stop thinking about ourselves and our own desires of what we need to say when we write and think, no, what do they need to hear? It's a different perspective. So in the work that you do as an entrepreneur who teaches business people about writing, um, who are the people that you help? Who are the people who come to you and say, hey, Aaron, we need your help? 
Well, often it's teams, you know, and I know a lot of us are on our own in this audience, right? But we collaborate with other entrepreneurs, at least I do. And that makes the work a lot better when you're on your own, right? Well, often it's teams that I'm teaching because they don't know how to communicate with each other. They're wasting time, like all of us with unclear emails, right? Where you're kind of like, well, it would have taken five minutes for the writer to make it clearer, but it took 15 minutes for the reader to figure it out when they didn't. So it's like, who's doing the work, right? We've got to think about who's doing the work in that regard. And so sometimes I'll teach, often it's a group of leaders who are kind of like, we want to make sure we're setting the right, we're modeling the right things with our writing. Sometimes it's a group of engineers who has to explain things to a lay audience and isn't quite sure how to think about that. And then sometimes it's just all of us, you know, we're all emailing, we're all working on project sharing platforms, we're all texting potentially for work. How do we balance in all those communications being informative and clear, but also being relational? Because especially in the remote world where writing represents us when we're not there, we've got to keep those two goals in mind all the time, being relational at the same time that we're being clear and action oriented. Because you can imagine a perfectly clear email that that hurt a lot of people's feelings, or you can imagine a super nice email that wasn't very clear, and neither of those would be advantageous. So we've got to be able to do both for people. And so leaders will come to me for that reason. Team members will say, well, I know my emails need to be clear, but I also don't want to piss off the customers. So I need to be relational too. And balance, a balancing act that we talk about in these classes. Talk a bit more about how you deliver what you do. Is it in the form of uh, courses, online learning? How does it all work? It's a mix. And those of you listening, right, we're all looking at, well, what are our products and services and how can we diversify, right? So I started out teaching live all the time, like I had done in colleges. And that's a lot of what I do. I show up, you know, I've got one tomorrow for a corporation and I had one last week for a public sector group and I show up virtually or in person and teach the class. Then I added e-courses that are already made. Like there's a two hour one on emailing. It's me talking to the people just like this, you know, so someone can learn if they're in the middle of the night or if they're in Taiwan and I'm not awake or whatever it might be. Um, and then the book. So I've tried to, uh, and the YouTube channel. So I've got four ways for people to find this information now and they range from free to less free as they go up, up the scale with the different options I have. Free to less free. So let's talk about the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the book came out of conversations with students. It was actually a couple of years before the pandemic when a lot of um, business writers would say at the end of a class, hey, that was cool. How do we practice? How, what can I read? What can I work on? And I would say, you know, I have no idea because all the books out there about writing are 500 pages long. And I would never inflict that on someone who's just trying to write more clearly at work. So I thought, well, I'm going to put all my lessons into a very, very small book. And I specifically kept it very thin. So where this book now captures what I say in class, as well as some examples um, that you people can look at with before and after to see how these strategies apply. But the point of the book is basically, we can be in control of our writing. We can feel autonomous, capable, confident, because most of us grew up feeling like, well, mm, we're not so sure if our writing's good. We've gotten different grades. We've gotten different messages from our bosses over the years. Many people are very nervous about writing. 
And so the book walks you through what we want to be doing is serving our readers, writing with meaning, keeping it brief, keep keeping it usable in today's busy professional world. And that's what the book walks people through, as well as that idea that writing is also a relational act and how to think about your reader, especially when we're doing sort of sales and promo content, right? If we're not thinking about the reader, our words aren't landing at all. And so it talks a little about how to get into the mind of your reader and build that relationship while you're also being clear and concise. Writing is a relational act. I love it. Unpack that. Right. And we don't think about it. Again, I go back to the myths from school. We never would have known writing was relational because it was just like, write my stuff, turn it in and hope it's good. It just sounds like a transaction, right? And it was. And then I would get my transaction back, like B minus, right? Like that's the money or what currency that I got back. And we've trained ourselves to think that writing is a transactional act and that really all we need to do is make sure the grammar is kind of good so we don't embarrass ourselves, right? But no, writing is intended to build connections. And now that we don't get to see each other, it's being used for that so much more from the way you know we we look when we write to someone in a public setting. I heard this really interesting story in a class recently where one of the leaders said that when they contribute on a project sharing forum and they're all putting comments and you can see what everyone has said, some people have noticed that when employees comment on something the leaders have said, they're very, you know, the writing is beautiful. It has all this thought. It has examples. It's lovely. And yet when people comment on a, quote, lower ranked person, the writing is abrupt. And they're thinking, wow, our writing is even showing our relationships with hierarchy when we write in front of people like that. And so writing, it shows if we care about someone, right? Like I could say, hey, Nikki, do you want to join me for a class next week? Or I could say, hey, Nikki, do you want to attend my class next week? And I think it would be a different feeling for Nikki if he's asked to attend or to join. Because in join, I want us to be together and have a relationship. And I even care what you have to say. I want to learn from it. But in attend, maybe I'm just checking you off on my attendance sheet. And so we it brings that tonal kind of relationship suggestions and connotations with it when we write. Mm, yeah, I like it. I like it. I like it. It's good. Um, writing as a relational act is pretty brilliant thought leadership. You should write that down and expand that into a, a couple um, uh, YouTube videos that you put out there. And, and it could even be the title for a short next book that you're going to write. Writing as a relational act is very, very good. It's brilliant. It sets the claim out there. Well, because we don't notice. It's a truth for all of us, but no one notices because we're not told that writing is being used that way, even though we all know on an instinctive level, because we've all been hurt or offended by a text that somebody wrote in a way that sounded snarky, right? We know what it's like to be affected by writing. And yet we don't always realize, well, that's going to be true when I'm writing for my business as well, or with my colleagues. Yeah. So who is your ideal client? Is this is is it a CEO of a company? Who is it? Who's the person that says, Aaron, yeah, we got to bring you in? 
Yeah, it's been interesting to discover that because many companies have a learning department inside of them. And then that's who I connect with. But many companies don't, either they're smaller or they just don't have learning within their HR. And it'll typically be someone in the C-suite who's maybe feeling really impatient and fed up with the kind of stuff they're reading, not because they don't like the people or they think the writing is bad per se, but because they're wasting time. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like, our whole team is writing unclearly and no one knows who's supposed to do what. I know I wasted two and a half hours just yesterday trying to read these emails, right? That's usually who brings me in as people who are kind of like, please fix the fact that we are super inefficient because our writing isn't clear. And then occasionally I'll have someone hire me more for the strategic relational, emotional intelligence side of the work. And they'll say, you know, we've got a leader who's writing doesn't feel right to their team. Let's say some leaders maybe haven't thought about how their words are coming off and that they could actually impact things like morale and retention. If for example, they write a weekly leadership email and it's condescending, right? It's not going to make people want to work there. So there's a lot that goes into that sort of management tool side of writing as well. And so I consult with or teach or offer an online course um, for leaders to take at their own pace for those reasons. That's awesome. So give me a case study, an example, if you will, of one of your success stories. The first story was Frank's story. And Frank was in my class, had the realization in class, and then went and fixed his email. He had written an update. He was a new boss, newly promoted. I'm teaching emerging leaders or whatever. He did sent an update to his boss. She had said, hey, can I, I get an update from this week? And he came to our class and he said, I just sent my boss my first update as a new leader, you know, and he was really jazzed. And we said, cool, tell us about it. And he's like, well, I described about four or five paragraphs of what my team has been doing. And we were kind of like, huh, wasn't this supposed to be an update? You know, that's kind of long. What's the deal? And we thought it through and we started talking about the fact that, you know what, you've got to decide how much to include based on who, what the reader wants, not based on what we want to say. And I have this problem because I write too long and I go, well, I wanted to say all that doesn't mean they want to hear it all. And I have to start deleting. Well, Frank had not thought of that at the time. And he had sent these five paragraphs to his boss. He told us in class that he had this brain moment where he realized, I know her. She is a bottom line person. Why did I write to her my style of lots of paragraphs? I should have written it in the style she wants to receive it as just like one or two sentences of a bottom line. So he fixed that. But a bigger version of using that same strategy and what I encourage us all to do, if you write more than people want, like I do, I tell myself, okay, Erin, I'm going to filter all these topics or sentences through now, later, never. Maybe I have 10 things to say, but maybe the reader only needs three of them now. Maybe they'll need three more if they say yes to the things from now, and then I'll deploy those three tomorrow. Maybe four they'll never need. And I've caught almost every day I catch myself and I delete things that just would have been extra. And one of my um, sort of like supervisors who hired me actually from the Army Corps of Engineers was in my class watching. We talked about this idea of saying, well, should I tell them that now, later or never? She went back to an email she'd written to leadership months ago, gotten zero responses. She rewrote it through that lens 
It became about a third of the length. She heard back from two people that day. So we are sometimes overloading our readers. What we're trying to do is help. We're trying to say, what if they need this info? Let me give them everything. But that's horrible, right? When you get an email that gives you everything. You just want the thing you need right then. And it's our job as writers to do that work ahead of time so the reader doesn't have to sift through. And we've I've seen in class people, people who I have multiple times come back and say, oh my gosh, I tried it. I got more responses, more compliance from using those maneuvers to make our writing usable by other people. Now, later, never is good. See, you gave us two really good nuggets here today. Writing is a relational act and now, later, never. Those are very, very good. You need a little video on that one too if you don't already have it. It's fantastic. I don't know if I have a now, later, never. That's a good idea because that's a popular strategy in class, yeah. I'm putting on my hat as the, uh, you know, as the guide to the guides, as the thought leader to the thought leaders. Those two are brilliant. Those are like standout. Nobody else out there is doing them. Make videos about them right away. Get them out there. Start talking about it. And writing as a relational act is not a single video. It is a dozen videos. You got to do an overview of it and then break it down into its component parts and and talk about it. Talk about the pitfalls of writing as a relational act as well as the opportunities of writing as a relational act. And the whole concept of what you don't know, you don't know. When you're writing, you're engaging in a relationship with somebody. I would start by talking about that immediately. Just say, Mm -hmm. did you know that when you're writing, you're engaging in a relationship with the reader? And if you were engaging in a relationship with the reader, would you want the, how would you want your reader to be left? Would you want your reader to be left angry? Would you want your reader to be left upset? Or would you want them to, your reader to be left happy, joyful, excited to hear from you? These are the types of things that I would have you put down and create and say, and it's part of the stuff we teach people to go deeper in that. But this is, we call this an ace in our world. We, we call creating thought leadership. I'm gonna give you a little lesson here. You're giving me lessons, but I gotta give you the, a, a, a little lesson here. This is an IP snapshot. I've got 56 of these, 56 of these puppies in this particular Mm -hmm. folder, which is all about high performance and winning. I would want you to create one that goes with statement, writing as a relational act, explain it more deeply, case studies, literature review, your book and other books, a um, diagram, and then a metaphor. And once you've done that, to mess with you a little bit more. We want seven different ways to say it for seven different types of audiences from casual audiences to formal audiences. And then because I'm interested in turning this into a licensable product for you, this is how good it is. I'd want you to create 20 questions you could ask off of that one sheet. I'd want you to create 30 of these sheets, do this with each of them. It's going to take you a little while. You won't do it in a day or two, but damn girl, you do this, you got yourself a million dollar a year business. It's some new stuff. You know, I've been finding people are real surprised that even thinking about writing with emotional intelligence or writing as a strategy and a management tool, but it's all because of the fact that it's actually relational, not transactional. I'd even say that 
uh, you should write all that down. You're taking some notes for yourself. You're, you're just going. Well, I'm going to go back and notes. listen. Well, I'm going to listen to our podcast and sure, get the notes sure, that way. <laughs> but, all right. But I'll write that one down right now. That's a good one, man. You come up with three yeah, ones yeah. you don't want to forget. You want to remember those right away. But um, <laughs> so, and the other thing I want to tell you is, me as a host, I want to know more about your personal story. We need more of you. Your business story is great. Your personal story is non-existent. You said I taught for 20 years. No, 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 man. Give me more than that. Why'd you get into teaching? Right, right. You know, right? How'd I get into teaching? How? Why? Yeah. What made you get out of it? What was great about it? What was frustrating about it? Was there a life event that happened? Did you know? Did you did you get married and divorced? Did you you know have a, a close family member of yours go through something that you needed to step in? Those are the things that make you relatable to people. People need that. They don't want to just hear business stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I had gone into teaching not intending to teach writing at all. Is really? actually what helped me. Yeah, and I didn't study writing either. Um, I studied international relations. No I did way. Some language. I studied international relations. Yeah, it's well, so interesting, right? Yeah, well, because it's exciting. Where did you yeah. study IR? At UC San Diego. Oh my God, I studied at Georgetown and and University of Toronto. So there you go. Man. Okay. Okay. Wild. Cool. Oh, it's exciting stuff. Yeah, I've taught in a couple countries, and I just find it really exciting to think about how different people do culture and even politics um okay, so i wasn't teach? intending where did you teach i was in i was planning to teach social history and things like that but as i got started i started noticing that writing was where an individual student could get a skill and a set of confidence that was impactful and empowering for them not that it isn't empowering to know information like in history, obviously, we learn from all of that. But me as a teacher watching, and in the very beginning, I was teaching high school at a not super successful school. So I would get to watch, oh, look at these students who are using these ideas and going forth with their writing. They're going to be able to do things. They're going to be able to say yes to things. You know, you can say yes to being on a committee when you're not nervous about your emails, right? Um, and so I started to notice, hey, my role, I didn't go into teaching because I cared about a particular subject. I went into it to contribute to our country. You know, um, I was actually starting a doctorate program and dropped out, out to teach high school because I wanted to be direct and do it right away in the, you know, under-resourced schools. And that was where I learned how to teach and how much writing could do for a person, even if they came out of difficult circumstances. So I thought, all right, I'm going to teach writing and just make up all kinds of cool creative stuff for them to do and try out their writing in real world settings. But then as I was teaching college for years, you know, universities are not the most agile institutions. Nope. Um, and so you get a little, I feel someone like me who wants to be out there doing a bunch of wild things, different things all the time. It's a bit constraining. And so in my last year there, I actually, you know, it was lucky for me as a Gen Xer, my students have been all the millennials. The earliest millennials are who I taught first. The youngest millennials are who I taught last. And in my last year as a professor or last semester, we, I was sitting with my students in the cafe. Um, they were working on their final projects, which included writing and making websites and all this jazz for their businesses. 
And I was watching them make these beautiful websites about these really awesome entrepreneurial journeys they were on, these 21-year-olds. And I thought, well, why not me? You know, why do why do I have to still be stuck in a dang school? These people who are half my age are out there getting their business out there and I can do it too. And so I thought, I'm out of here. You know, I want to do things my own way, which allows me to be more nimble, more flexible. And also just, you know, I can teach in something that's a county government or I can teach in a corporation or I can teach at the United Way and it can get me around um, to connect with different services and learners. That's rock star. I love it. So you said you taught in a couple of other countries. Which countries did you teach in? Yeah, and these were brief, but I taught in Indonesia and China. They were both intensive courses for adults in the summer. Um, so yeah, Indonesia was the be- one of the best months of my life, um, honestly. And my students were journalists, customs agents, professors, IT people, and we just had an amazing time. And I learned about their country and their culture. Um, by the way, we did class, you know, it was very different than the US. When you do class, how, what it's like, all the norms, completely different. So that was so fun and exciting for me. Good for you. So I'm from Iran originally. I went to an American school okay. in Iran. We left in 1980. Uh, I'm also a Gen Xer and I, um, we went to Greece for two years. I went to an American school in Greece um, uh-huh. a Hellenic International School in Athens, Greece. And then we came to Canada and I finished up high school in Canada. I did uh, my um, undergraduate at the University of Toronto and then I did my master's degree in international relations at the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown. Uh, wow. So that was yeah. uh, that was kind Exciting. of my, my deal. And in addition to that, I went to Dubai for a few months. I lived there. It was It was exciting, but it didn't work out. So we came back. Um, and uh, I haven't been doing heavy duty traveling like I did a lot of when I was younger, but I'm very grateful for that. It was uh, definitely something that made me a more cosmopolitan man than I would have been otherwise. And mm-hmm. um, it's a beautiful thing when I speak to someone like you who's had the experiences that you've had. Your, your work is brilliant. You've come up with really good original IP. I'm really, really impressed with uh, the things that you've come up with. And I'm also grateful that someone from an academic background decided to become an entrepreneur and go out there and do do her thing, you know? God bless you. God bless you. Well done. It's holding you back. You've got to spring for it if it's holding you back, right? It can be done. There's always a way. No. And so, yeah, it worked for me. And, you know, part of it, it was kind of funny. People would say, how can you take such a risk when you have a stable job with people might assume respect and money. And then I, I'd say, what do you mean? I've been teaching in public schools my whole life. I am accustomed to making very little money for very little respect. It's not a risk. I know I can do better on my own. Yeah, and, and so many of us can, as long as we learn along the way what our strengths and weaknesses are, right? I've had to figure out what to do about my s- certain weaknesses that I didn't need to worry about at the school. but. No, it's just great to get out there and give the world what we have without those intermediaries, those middle people. Amen. Amen. You know, beautifully well said. I think what you have to offer is very powerful. Uh, your story is compelling. 
And please, when you go on podcast, lead off with your story, get into it for five or 10 minutes. It's that good. Okay. And yeah. uh, your, your, your nuggets of gold, I would break those up and add some good stories to them as well, because what you have to share is really valuable. You are a world-class thought leader and more people need to know who you are. You're not as big as you should be, uh, quite candidly. Yeah. But you'll get there. Well, and that's a part out. of the journey, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the getting out there, the scaling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. know, happy to have a chat with you about that uh, if you like afterwards. This is rock star level stuff. So, Aaron, um, someone wants to pick up a copy of your book. How do they do that? Yeah, well, it's on all the big the biggies, you know, Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, um, good. There's a few, you know, used here and there. It's on Book Baby. So lots of ways to get the book. It is available electronically if you're abroad. And some of the I know it's not available in some of the Amazons, like in Pakistan and a couple other countries. Um, but you can find it. And it's it's an easy read. It's conversational. I intended it to sound like a teacher just talking with you. You know, let's get through this and figure out how to write the stuff we need to write. Beautiful, beautiful. And if someone's interested in finding out more about the work that you do, or they want to engage you to help them out, where do they go for that? Yeah, that would be lovely. I'm at highvaluewriting.com. So my business name is the same as the book. And my email is Aaron at highvaluewriting.com. And I'd love to hear from folks just to talk about these topics or to look to set up something, etc. And there's also courses.highvaluewriting.com where the there's e-courses there. You could take one tonight if you wanted to. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll make sure we put all that in the show notes. Aaron, we like to end off, uh, of course, we like to end off each and every single episode by asking you as our guest expert, um, what are your top three expert action steps, your best pieces of advice for my listener to take his writing, her writing, her life, his life, his business, her business to a whole new level. What say you? Yeah, well, number one, I'll say, and it's going to sound like a weird place to start, but we've all got to know this because it's back to the mythology. There is not one correct way to write. So if you're out there thinking, well, I suck at writing, I write wrong, I'm a bad writer, that's not possible. Writing is always dependent on the situation. There isn't a set of rights and wrongs that's always true. So don't worry about that. What you want to do, and this is number two, when you've got questions about your writing, where you find the answer is in thinking about your reader. You don't find the answer by remembering grammar rules. You don't find the answer in textbooks. You find the answers by thinking, where does this reader live, for example? I'm going to talk about weather. I'm going to write to people out here in California. I'm going to talk about wildfires as a result of bad weather first. I'm going to change it when I send it to someone in Florida. Now I'm going to talk about hurricanes first. I don't have to wonder what order to put things in. I can decide it based on the reader. I don't have to just make it up. And then the third one, just for a little bit of fun practicality for all of us who wish we were more concise, which is most people I know. If you write in a wordy way, like this is to inform you that we are in need of an update to your profile, that sounds bureaucratic. That's old school professional, not what people like right now. What you can do instead is figure out who's doing something. What are they doing? If you like grammar, that's subject and verb. If you don't like grammar, forget that. Who and what? Put them in the front of your sentence. 
So instead of like, this is to inform you that your file has been in need of updating, you need to update your file, right? Like you need to, <laughs> we can get right to the, to the point. And it happens a lot if you're writing about um, technical information. It has been reported by the state of California that fewer ri river breaches have occurred. If I put who did it in the front, California, what did they do? Report, California reported fewer river breaches. Any sentence you have, it will get tighter, more concise by just leading with who did it and what did they do. So that's just a key. When you're looking at an ugly sentence and you don't know where to begin, you've got to start with that who. Decide who you want it to be about. Put them in the front. Much more concise that way. Love it. Awesome expert action steps. Listener, Aaron Labax, fantastic, fantastic thought leader with some true nuggets of gold. Make sure that you take some good notes from this episode and you use it in your own writing. And if this was valuable for you, give this episode a like, a rating, a review. And if you have a friend or a colleague who needs to hear this, share this episode with them. Do it right away. Aaron Labax, what a pleasure to have you on the show. I had a lot of fun. Well, likewise, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. And thanks to all our listeners. You bet. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Aaron Labax, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or wherever you happen to listen to this episode. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.